0: Hello, my Lonely Hour listeners, this is your host, Julia, and I'm here to tell you that we have a brand new season that you can find on Stitcher Premium. Just go to stitcher.com slash to sign up now. You'll get access to ad-free episodes and archives of some of your other favorite shows, as well as exclusive bonus episodes of hit podcasts, early access to new releases, and over 300 stand-up comedy albums. You'll also have the option to donate to the Lonely Hour, which is the best way to support it. Thank you for helping us keep this show going. This is The Lonely Hour, produced by Pale Groove. I'm your host, Julia Bainbridge. I'm an editor and a writer, mainly about food, but I also have a lot of feelings, loneliness being one of them. I want to explore that feeling because it's pervasive, but the literature on it is not. Each episode of The Lonely Hour is going to focus on a particular topic, whether it's a community or a profession, an age group, or an activity that seems to arouse feelings of loneliness or aloneness. That could be mental illness, for example, or it could be social media's effect on us. It could even be motherhood. The idea is to catalog tidbits on this very human feeling, because we all feel lonely sometimes. I want to explore how we feel it. According to the Small Business Administration, there are nearly 28 million small businesses operated in the United States, and of these, 78.5% are individually owned. We idolize the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world, but many of those entrepreneurs struggle through anxiety and loneliness on their way to the top, if they ever reach it. Brian Bordanic is on his way to reaching it, the owner of Dinner Lab, a member-based pop-up dinner event company that spotlights up-and-coming chefs. His company is growing, and fast. What started as, well, a startup, putting on dinner parties in New Orleans, Dinner Lab now operates pop-up restaurants in cities nationwide. The company scored $2.1 million in seed funding led by Dr. John B. Elstra, the chairman of the board of Whole Foods in 2014, and last year raised a $7 million Series A led by James River Capital.
1: we thought we were throwing parties when we started. And now I think we're in the business of building community. And I think that that's been a a really interesting sort of shift of paradigm shift, if you will, but something that we're really proud of and we take very, very seriously. So, you know, the future for dinner lab is really continuing to build on that community as we continue to grow, but really starting to offer, you know, really cool tailored experiences for segments of our community. So um, you know, whether that be for single people in our community or whether that be for people who are really into fashion and things like that, we're finding other really cool partners that we can work with on events to release new products or release new like sneak peeks at things and just sort of segment our community into these different little buckets, uh, now that it's getting a little bit bigger. So yeah. something that we're super, super happy about, but that's a lot of the work that we're doing moving forward. And a lot of the conversations that are happening around the table are certainly related to food. I mean, we we work with the best chefs in the world and we're super fortunate for that, but a lot of the conversations are really about using food as that focal point to bring together a community. And that's, um, that's sort of the future for us. Right.
0: Um, At the same time, you know, of course, like the growth is great and the nature of your work is social in the sense that like it's dinner parties and you're bringing people together around the table. But, you know, I want to refer to this entrepreneur.com interview that you did and and you said that during this growth, quote, everybody wants to talk about all, you know, things all the time and and ask you about the business and you're stressed out and that's a hard place to be as an entrepreneur. It's a really lonely place to be. Can you expand on that?
1: Yeah, you know. So entrepreneurship is like very in vogue right now. Uh, everyone loves to talk about it. You know, uh, entrepreneurs have like, I'm not going to say they've replaced rock stars, but they're starting to dot the covers of vanity fair and places like that. They've become like this almost obsession. Uh, not myself, <laughs> but <laughs> lots of others have the become, Zuckerbergs
0: uh, and the, you know,
1: totally right. It's they have become these, uh, you know, almost icon icons. And, um, you know, a lot of people, the vast majority of people in in their everyday lives, you know, don't really do the type of work. And and it's not like working in food or working, whatever. A lot of people just don't go for it um, and try to launch their own business and try to do whatever. And I totally understand it's terrifying. And most people shouldn't, aren't, shouldn't do this type of work. Um, However, it represents something that people want to talk about. And um, when you're, whether you're playing golf with friends or you're at dinner with your parents, it's just something that is a pretty big deviation from people's normal lives. And especially when friends see you in Entrepreneur Magazine or, you know, you have friends texting you like, hey, I just picked up Forbes and I read an article about you in there. Like, it's something that is cool for them to, to see. And it's something that is just uh, interesting to talk about. So it sounds cool and it's, it sounds really interesting, but typically as an entrepreneur, things aren't going well. There's always things that are on fire. I really had a meeting. We'll probably have another one today where you're like, what the hell are you talking? You know, it's just like, it's a constant process of things breaking and trying to rebuild them and maintaining expectations, yet keeping people excited. It's just this really weird dance that you constantly have to do. And it's, not always going well. Um, and, and typically it's not going well. And you're trying to like fight that tide more times than not. Uh, it, case in point, you know, a lot of people, I think, emulate or, 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 or wish that they were the CEO of Uber. It's a company that's valued at like $50 billion. And I wouldn't trade places with that guy, and no, like for anything. Because, you know, his job right now is his company's worth more than most companies in the world. But people are looking at him and his team and saying, how do you make this company worth five times the amount of money it's worth today? And you're probably like, how the hell do I do that? Like right. it's a tremendous amount of stress. I mean, you're like, what? Like, and it never stops. Right. So you can sort of have to get very comfortable with playing with the Rubik's cube, recognizing that you'll never get it done. And people are just sort of enamored with the space, but have a misconception of what it's really like to run a company and running a company is, it's awesome. And I love it. And, um, catch me in a couple hours and I'll be like, Oh my God, I don't want to do this anymore. (laughs) Most entrepreneurs, if they're being real with you, say the same thing, like there are good days and bad days, but your peaks and your valleys are just, there's a bigger gap between, between them and most other people.
0: Yeah. I mean, you're, you have referred a lot so far to we, and I know that now you have a bigger team and there are, you know, other people even at the, you know, kind of high level on the kind of masthead, so to speak here, but, but it's really you at least at the beginning like you know you are the entrepreneur you stuck your neck out there you're kind of you know certainly in the beginning we're in the trenches and trying to do something you've never done before like um can you i mean well first of all do you do you feel that way is that true and and if so can you kind of speak to some of those moments early on that were uh, petrifying maybe <laughs>
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, there certainly is a a degree of that, right? Like at the end of the day, if, uh, you know, shit hits the fan or things are going really well, like you get more as a CEO of a company, you get a lot more credit when things are going well than you probably deserve. And you get a lot more blame than you probably deserve when things are going bad. Mm -hmm. And that's what you sign up for. Right. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit challenging in the sense that you know, an event doesn't go as well as planned in Miami. And then people immediately want to talk to you about it. And, you know, you may have had 30 events going on, but that's still your responsibility. So you're sort of, you're the, the buck starts and and stops with you. And I think you just have to get more comfortable with that. And I think certainly as I've gotten a little bit older, I turned 30 a couple months ago, you know, you start to understand that a little bit more. Uh, But, you know, there's so many terrifying moments that happen just throughout uh, the existence of any company. And, you know, you have to hope that as you're starting a company, you know, the couple of those big pivotal moments early on go well. And some of the ones that can really trip you up and cause you to cause it all to go up in flames. You got to hope that not too many of those happen, but we certainly have had, um, a number of those. I mean, our first event, for example, in San Francisco, uh, we had the fire department like the entire fire department show up at and, uh, They weren't happy about us locating a, you know, propane tank and burners outside of something and a neighbor called and thought the building was on fire and they literally like sounded four alarms and brought in everyone, you know, that seemed to have a firefighting uniform, Uh, which great, uh, great response time for sure. Um, (laughs) um, But it's it's things like that. And then, you know, that gets into the San Francisco Chronicle the next day and you have people talking about it and emailing about it. And, you know, it feels like, holy crap, our first event, you know, kind of. Uh, could have almost gone up in smoke. Uh, But those are the types of moments that I think you have to be able to react. And I was actually having a conversation with one of our, uh, with a close friend of mine, uh, who's an advisor and investor in the company. And, you know, every couple of months, I feel like you wind up in these very high stress situations where maybe cash is tight, or maybe growth is going better or worse than expected. And, you have to be able to, cause there's so much noise that happens during those moments. People complain about this and talk about this and talk about that. And the biggest challenge is, you know, being able to sort of stand on that verge of staying kind of above it and also not feeling disconnected from what's actually the reality on the ground. And, you know, a lot of that, I guess is vision, but it's really hard to do, especially when things aren't going well. Um, You know, when we launched out our free membership, we didn't take on as many members as we initially wanted to. And we had to think through, holy crap, like here's this whole different structure that we had to use as a company. Um, How do we make it work? And now obviously, you know, we're in a much better spot today, but that was only, you know, three and a half, four months ago. Mm. So it's like, you're constantly, you build up these expectations, which you try to temper, but everyone's always sort of looking to you and looking to what's going to happen. And success only begets more success in the sense that, You know, for example, this is a perfect example. We're we're adding right now about 500 people a day onto our platform. You know, that may be cool and interesting for a little bit, but then, you know, people are constantly asking, well, how does it get to 600? How does it get to 700? Right. So it's sort of this never satisfied moment. Uh, you just never get to feel like, ah, I'm done. Maybe you should pick up, like, wood whittling or something like that. But, <laughs> you know, if you don't stop for a moment to just, like, pause and be like, holy crap, we've come a really long way since we were throwing parties in, like, abandoned buildings, like, you will become just a miserable person to be around. And I think I certainly have fallen victim to that um, in the past. But, you know, it's it's hard not to because there's so much work to be done constantly. You can work 24 hours a day. But every now and then you got to pull back a little bit and just say, you know, hell yeah. Yeah. I wonder (laughs) if
0: that's something you learned from working with this CEO coach. So, you know, that same entrepreneur.com article mentioned that you, you worked with one and, and I wonder, you know, why did you seek that out and what was kind of the goal of that, uh, relationship or sort of mentorship?
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm really just not very good at my job. I mean, to be candid, (laughs) I doubt
0: that's true. So
1: I just like, I think that, you know, it's hard, right? Investors, you can't be, you know, you can say everything you want to them, but they're also looking at it from the sense that, you know, they have money in the company and they expect certain things out of you. So to have a, a voice that's like actually just looking out for your personal development and your professional development is is a really nice thing to have. I mean, yes, there's an under it's basically just an unfiltered way to talk about some of the things that, you know, I want to prioritize about you know, my professional growth. And I've learned uh, so much throughout this process. Uh, It's ridiculous. But, you know, when I was starting this company, I was contemplating going to Stanford Business School or starting this company. And I ultimately talked to a bunch of people who said, you should start the company, you're going to learn a lot more than you would even at, you know, one of the best, you know, business schools in the in the world. And I agree. I think going through it and having my, you know, being up to my knees or eyeballs in it sometimes has been a tremendous experience for me. But it's just hard because there are not a lot of people to talk to.
0: That's funny that there aren't a lot of people to talk to about it because you think there's so many, you know, small businesses these days. I would imagine there'd be kind of meetup groups for young entrepreneurs or something. But um... there are.
1: But like. Entrepreneurs suck typically. I mean, I'm just <laughs> Why is that? Well, like, because, like, ask any entrepreneur how things are going, and they're always going to tell you things are going great. So like, everyone's sort of, uh, like, in a pissing contest with one another. Um, and it's just really hard to get an honest answer out of people, right? Hmm. Like, you're an entrepreneur. You know that things aren't going well. There probably are things that happened during your day today that just, like, sucked or are, like, really terrible. But yet, when you get to the outside world and people – ask you at these like little happy hours and groups and things like that. Like, how are things going? It's like, Oh my God, things are going great. Like we got this going on, we got this going on. So it's like, I actually haven't found too, too much solace in in other entrepreneurs and and I just have learned not to necessarily look for it there. Um, but it's, there are, there are great resources out there, but I think it's also finding people that, you know, care about you and love you. Like, to be honest with you, my friend group when I started this company was huge. I had like tons of people uh, that, you know, I could call up, grab a drink with and hang out with. And now I'm down to like five, but I'm actually like really happy about that. I have like five friends that like I will talk to and go out to dinner with and stuff like that. And I'm just so happy to have those people because you can go a little bit deeper and maybe that's a product of getting older. I don't know. I feel like most people in their twenties can probably that are transitioning into their thirties probably say the same thing. But
0: yeah, but maybe it helped. was accelerated by, you know, having your own business and the sort of need to whittle down. Yep,
1: yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean that was going to be one of my, my or my last questions, since I know you have a hard stop for a million other meetings um in seven minutes. But um you know, managing personal relationships while devoting so much energy to the business. Um, um, you know, it's required of you to do that. So, so how do you ensure that you see the people you love and sort of, um, I don't know, keep your heart full, you know, in a way.
1: No, it's a really great question. Uh, and, and my, my girlfriend, you know, she works in media as well. So she's like, got an equally chaotic, uh, chaotic kind of lifestyle. And, um, it was tough, you know, to really make sure that you're not running parallel with the person that you want to spend, you know, your life with and really making sure that you're like doing things sort of together. Right. So, you know, we've done a lot of things that I think have gone a tremendously long way for our relationship. And even with like friendships, is like, it it really forced me to ask some difficult questions to my life. Like, um, are these people actually good friends or are these just like transactional friends or like are these people who I want to surround myself with and invest more into these relationships and it took a little bit of time to like actually, I'm not saying shrink down my group like I like, kick people out of my life but you just stop making time for the little bullshit things that like you shouldn't be making, t- I was going to like three happy hours a day like spend an hour here, spend an hour here, spend an hour here and it's just like I just don't do that anymore so I think that really prioritizing that. I, I think I had some anxiety that it would make me like less cool or less happy, but I've learned that I'm actually not very cool. And it's made me very, very happy uh, to kind of structure my life.
0: Well, I was going to bring up a quote that I read from, um, from the I eat foods founder Shazia Salim, but I don't know that you, it sounds like the way you describe yourself. You're not, um, you didn't have an issue with this. She said, carry your ego with you, and it's a pretty lonesome journey, you know, talking about entrepreneurship. Um, ditch it, and you invite from the right people, of course, support, company, and experiences that make the journey much more worthwhile. But um, you, you don't seem to be have an issue with letting go of your ego.
1: <laughs> I try not to. There are certain things, that, don't get me wrong, I am an entrepreneur at the end of the day. There are certain things that I definitely think I'm right on. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that, I, I do think that most of the time, you know, things aren't going to go well. Right. So you're going to screw up a lot of stuff. And, you know, I think the one thing that would add on to that is like for anybody here and myself included, and I have to remind myself of this constantly is, is, you know, I'm a big fan of trying things and messing them up and then learning from those mess ups and then trying to move quickly. And I think that's ultimately, you know, the job of any CEO is to like screw a lot of stuff up, edit a lot and then keep moving.
0: Patrick Janelle, a guy named Patrick on Instagram, was a guest on our social media episode. But he's also the owner of Spring Street Social Society, a kind of club and dinner theater company that throws events in New York City and Los Angeles. With much attention on both Patrick himself and on Spring Street, it's been featured in the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times, among other publications, I wondered if the growing success is ever alienating to Patrick.
2: I don't don't think that um, the any I don't think the success itself is alienating but it's so much more apparent to me now more than ever that like no amount of success even though I'm sort of like in a very middle place right now that I hope to continue growing no amount of success is going to ever solve any of the basic human issues that we all face Um, and I think it is surprising to me when somebody's like oh you must have like you're on Instagram and I'll you know People must be asking you out on dates all the time, or you—you know—you must be like doing so well. You—you—you you, you can choose whoever you want. Meanwhile, I'm like still the person that's like, does does that guy like me? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I can't tell. Like, I'm trying to figure. I'm trying to figure it out. Um, and I spend a lot of my time like worrying about personal relationships and somebody caring about me yeah. and somebody loving me.
0: I imagine. So what? you mean by those human needs being met in part is companionship
2: companionship for sure Um,
0: when do you feel the most surrounded accompanied loved
2: um there are a lot of things in my life that i do that i'm surrounded by really loving and wonderful people um my business partner amy with spring street social society she and i are together all the time Um, we love each other and i feel cared for by her the whole group of people who are part of Spring Street Social Society who make every event that we do, um, who make it spectacular and special and who pour their souls into making really beautiful, um, engaging experiences. I feel very special and loved when I'm around those people. But it is interesting because I'm, you know, as a leader of those things, I then can go home from any event that we do and I'm still you know, and going home to my own apartment at night and having to deal with the fact that, um, you know, maybe my my apartment's a mess and maybe I still have to, you know, just any of the basic things that you have to do to, like, t- take care of yourself in your own apartment after having had such a high of all of these really wonderful people surrounding you, knowing that, um, yeah, that I can I still go back home and, you know, I'm essentially... Taking care of myself and by myself, but um,
0: you're a guy named Patrick.
2: I'm I'm a guy. I'm just a guy <laughs> named Patrick. <laughs>
0: it's interesting you use the word leader. Maybe that's the better way to address the lonely at the top question, because maybe it's more about you know. Let's look at the dynamics within a company like Spring Street that you launched, and you are the boss. You know, and there mm-hmm. are all kinds of difficult things about being a boss. I mean, you want to be approachable, but you also want to be respected, and how do you establish that while also being warm and friendly? I mean, how how have you experienced being the boss of your own company? In that yeah,
2: way? I think that's interesting because being being the boss means that you do have to create some sort of divide or, you know, sort of distinction within roles. Um, meaning that you, you do have to kind of like isolate yourself. Right. And while I, why, uh, because, uh, because in order for some, in order for a team of people to have, uh, to have confidence in you, you have to, you have to set yourself apart. Um, and that certainly doesn't mean that you can't be compassionate and you can't be friendly and you can't be buds with people in some ways. But, um, but you do have to, I think authority, the best kind of authority you do, you do have to isolate yourself from the sort of, um, the basic kind of like runnings of what happens. And that's, that's actually a difficult thing for me. Um, it's difficult for me to understand why I see, I see being a leader as like a privilege and, it's sometimes difficult for me to understand like why I'm the leader and why everybody just isn't the leader and that other people are sort of like submissive to my authority. And I feel sort of guilty about that sometimes while at the same time feeling like that's kind of the way that it needs that's to be the in, organism order, functions. in order to like actually lead and function and build something well. But ultimately what that means is that I am, uh, there are times when I need to let somebody else do some grunt work
0: Mm
3: -hmm, mm -hmm.
2: and i'm not going to be right alongside them doing it
0: is this something you learned along the way through your time at spring street like and if so is there a moment where you shifted into into boss role (laughs) that Um, you can remember
2: yeah i i don't know that there was like a moment but i think that there's been kind of this ongoing um this this ongoing learning of at a certain point like maybe in the very beginning I was doing everything or Amy and I were doing everything. And now, um, and now I'm to a point where like, I can't do everything. Like I don't have the time. I don't have the ability. And the same thing goes for, um, with my world of social media, like for the first time in my life, I have an assistant, you know, and how do I, how do I delegate things because it's best for me and be okay with the fact that there are people who know that that's their role to do the work that, I'm delegating, right?
0: What's an example of um, a way in which you had to, you know, give orders, become the boss, whatever you want to call what we're talking about here? Um, that did you mentioned that you felt guilty in the past? Like, what's something well, you this just you happened, knew happened had this to be weekend?
2: Done. This just happened this weekend. We had we pr- we produced our first theatrical production, and we filled a raw space with fifty-five thousand pounds of sand. <laughs> That's twenty over twenty-five tons of sand. Um, I well, I did, did not, not
0: carry all that sand. I
2: did not carry all that sand. we hired people to do it, but not only did we hire people to move the sand and then remove it, which is probably finishing up right now as I'm talking. um, I also was not the person on the ground managing the people who were removing things. We had a line producer and we had a stage manager, and they were the ones who stayed until the bitter end to oversee the cleanup of this space. And this is something that a year ago I would have done Um, for multiple reasons. Uh, It it wasn't something that I could do this time around. And I kept feeling so guilty and so sorry that like somebody else was had to like stay there on the ground and manage. And even though these people weren't necessarily like heavy lifting, but they were being on site and making sure that it was all taken care of. And ultimately, you know, sort of as like, and this, this sort of executive leader in this situation, like, that's not my role and responsibility right now. And how we had kind of, like, set up the structure within this particular project, that wasn't my role.
0: Mm-hmm. I want to talk about entrepreneurship, since that's mm-hmm. what you are now. Um, you know, you left an office job to go out on your own. Um And while you've been successful, I imagine there was fear at times. I'm going to read from an article on Inc.com about this, you know, entrepreneurs and kind of loneliness. Um, Successful entrepreneurs achieve hero status in our culture. We idolize the Mark Zuckerbergs and the Elon Musks. But many of those entrepreneurs harbor secret demons. Before they made it big, they struggled through moments of near debilitating anxiety and despair, times when it seemed everything might crumble. I mean, can you talk about that decision to go out on your own? And if there were times when you... Were thought
2: Yeah I mean for me Yeah (laughs) there were definitely times that I thought Oh shit (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, I left my job um, The most recent like office job That I had was at Bon Appetit magazine And I left my job when Instagram seemed to be gaining traction Spring Street Social Society Was definitely gaining traction But nothing was really very apparent In terms of like how I was going to make ends meet I was decided that I would take On freelance graphic design projects that was my background art direction and graphic design so i would at least i at least knew that there were projects that would pay the bills while i could focus more of my energy and intention on things that weren't necessarily paying the bills but were but were gaining traction just sort of like popularly instagram and spring street social society so because i was spending so much time on these things it was great that i had like freed up my time to be working on other projects but they weren't showing like an immediate return. So it was very, it was very scary and very difficult. Um, six months after I left Bon Appetit, um, I was in Paris hanging out at fashion shows, sitting front row at Louis Vuitton and like, you know, having the time of my life showing this beautiful life on Instagram, which is great. um, and I was more broke than I'd like ever been in my life. <laughs> I literally, w- I literally had to borrow 20 euros from a friend to take the train back from the center of Paris to the airport so I could get back. Um, yeah, I literally had to borrow 20 euros from a friend to take a train to the Paris airport to fly back. And so, uh, this was,
0: you could have hitched a ride with that guy out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: Right. Yeah. If he would have been around in Paris at the time. Um, but it was so interesting that like, uh, and this is, this is also a very, I think an interesting lens into like what, what is reality? Like I literally was, I was invited to, to the show, mm-hmm. the fashion shows and I was there and I was showing up. Um, and I your certainly shoes were
0: shiny, but and your my wallet shoes, was empty
2: exactly yeah. I was not capable of purchasing anything that I saw, but I was able to document and talk about it. Um, that was a really scary, a really scary time for me because I didn't really know i I had things in the pipeline that I knew were going to come down and there were probably invoices that had been paid and that sort of thing but um but literally like the brokeest that I've ever been in my life. Um, but I'm also one to. I guess, embrace fear and risk. And maybe that's what makes me an entrepreneur. (laughs) Although I also, I'm not an entrepreneur in the sense that I also understand a good business sense of how to get myself um, through that in a a very supported manner. But uh, those are actually the times when I think I flourish the most because I have to make it.
0: Jill Lindsay cashed in her 401k two years ago and put all her money towards opening her Fort Greene boutique, also named Jill Lindsay.
3: I was designing for a few different brands at the time. One was like a startup brand. One was like a very huge multi-store brand. And, and I love creating product for other people. It's, you know, it's really incredible But the reason that I—I guess I should back up a tiny bit. So I got my first degree in psychology, and I've always wanted to go to design school. So after I finished psychology, I decided to put myself through design school. So I studied fashion for four years. I interned with Alice Temperley in New York um, in their showroom, and then, you know, I really— I really wanted to be in New York. And so, but I went to school in Seattle. So, finishing up design school and then I immediately got offered a position with Nordstrom designing for their private label and then that spun into a couple other projects in Seattle and then and then I really felt the the need to be in New York. So, I moved from Seattle to New York and then just began designing for everybody. I mean, I designed for so many different types of brands, so many different types of customers, like menswear, wear, women's wear, kids at one point, and I loved everyone I worked with, and it was, like, really empowering to, like, help them create a product, but the reason I went to design school was to make my own product and to really focus my creativity on, you know, creating apparel and products that are driven by my mind and my heart, so... I was sitting, I was at a yarn show in Italy, and I was sitting in this cafe, and I was like, I, I'm not meant to do this. I'm not meant to sit in other people's offices and, you know, design product for a hundred store. You know, it just was like, this isn't my role, and I can do it, and I can do it really well for them, and I loved everyone I worked with, but it's not what I was meant to do. And so I started sketching in my sketchbook, and... I was like, yeah, I need to have a I I, want to have a space. And whether it's an online space or a brick and mortar space, I need to figure that out. And the more that I sketched in that afternoon, the more it turned into an actual store, cafe, community center, like all of the things and the elements that it is now today.
0: Yeah. So tell, tell listeners who don't know about Jill Lindsay, the store, not the woman, although Jill Lindsay, (laughs) the store is Jill Lindsay, the woman. Um, what is it? You know,
3: so it's a many parts. Yes. (laughs) It's got a lot of things. Um, it's a community place. I would say it's a department store in the front. It's a cafe in the back and we serve coffee, tea, wine, beer, snacks. Um, and then the lower level is a wellness center and we have a garden. And so we do curated events. So everything from kids sing-alongs or family sing-alongs to supper clubs, to crafting workshops, to, you know, classes like branding and marketing workshops, Instagram classes, ways that people can promote and grow their own businesses. So it really is a platform of like a lot of things. Yes. And tie-dye workshops.
0: And tie-dye workshops. And tarot readings, <laughs> both of which I've been a part because I live down the street. <laughs> Full disclosure. Um, when you say you felt you weren't meant to do what you were doing and you were meant to do something else, like, can you be, can you explain that a little bit? Like, what was it about creating product at a high volume or creating, was it creating product under somebody else's label or what, what about that didn't feel right? Well, I guess
3: it was, you know, so in the design world, there is a lot of leadership roles. So you have vice presidents and design directors and and multiple design, you know, stages. So I was senior designer for one of the brands that I was working for. And, you know, we would go into these huge meetings with, you know, coming up with creative for each season. And it was each product category and you have, you know, all of these elements and then design goes back and they work through and create the product and, you know, then you sample it and then you fit it and then you drop it and then you change the color and then you change the fabric. And it was all of Mm -hmm. these things, right, Mm -hmm. that on many levels, a lot of people are making decisions on. And I just, for some reason, I don't know if it's an innate thing that I have, but it's like... Okay, we need this sweater, we need this yarn, this is gonna be the right thing for that. And I just always had this innate thing where I trusted that design, I trusted that product. So it's almost like I could shoot through all of the little like mini meetings and be like, okay, great, here's our thing. This is what we need and this is what it should be. Rather than like, oh my gosh, should it be pink? Should it we should change the gray scale ten percent? Like there were all these micro decisions that needed to be made. But at the end of the day, for me, I just, I just have a vision and I want to execute it.
0: Right. So, micro decisions, but also I imagine myself also being in a sort of creative field, like it's a bit of a pissing contest. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like people want to change my new things just so that they have had a finger on something and, yeah. you know, well,
3: and for have me, touched it, you know? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Um, and for me, like, I guess it, it wasn't as much about that for, uh, for me. It was, I just wanted to like, I know
0: I'm the simple one. You're like, <laughs> I,
3: just, I just wanted f- clarity and light. focus Yeah. to okay. like, just you guys, it's this. Right. And that's, What's what we stand for. And so I was like, you know, I just, at the end of the day, I was sitting there at the yarn show and I was meeting with all these amazing people that I've worked with for years and I was, like, pulling yarn, cat- yarn cards for these brands, and I was like, I should be pulling yarn cards for me. I should really be making what I want to make. And I have to figure it out. Yeah. So
0: then, was that scary? Like, yeah, talk to me about that. So you, you had the sketch, mm-hmm. which actually looks, from what you've told me before, it, like, really is what the store looks yeah. like, you know? Um but you get back home from Italy and you're like, let's do this. Or, you know, what was the process? So I like created
3: that? a timeline for myself okay. and, you know, I was like, okay, is it going to be brick and mortar? Or is it going to be online? Cause I still at that point was like, it's it, because of the way technology was advancing and all of these things. I was like, hmm. well, everybody's doing online. Like, you know, Everlane's like crazy. Like, this is the way to go. So I was like, okay, let's see what we need how much it's going to cost to create a website. What does that mean? So I created a timeline of like when I was actually going to quit a job. But then I was like, well, I need lots of money to do this. Mm-hmm. So I just really started designing for like anyone I could. I was like, you need help, you need help. Like, let's go. <laughs> so then I cashed in all the money and I continued to freelance. So when I quit all the jobs, I said to all of them, I'm still available for freelance. I just can't work in your office and I have to be a little bit more flexible with my schedule, but I would love to continue working with you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some of them I did continue to work for, which was amazing because it really, on a small scale, I worked with them because it gave me cash in my pocket to live on essentially. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so... Um, you know, for three months I built out the store with a contractor and a subcontractor and an electrician and I was doing the work too. Like I was knocking down walls and painting and sanding and whatever I could to like make this thing open.
0: Yeah. I mean, what if it didn't, like there was potential here for that. Like mm-hmm. what if, or what if you didn't make it to the two year like, were you prepared for that? I mean, it's just, it's such a bold move to cash in everything. You didn't have investors. Like, you just went ahead and did this. What was your sort of worldview or, you know, like, how do you think about what if it fails? Like, this all, all will have been still a good exercise or? um, Well, I. Also, failure. I would say now we're in the state. It has not failed. And yes. Like. <laughs> only is growing. So
3: I feel okay asking that question
0: because you're not in the red. (laughs) Yeah.
3: It's a really, it's a strong question and it's a good question because I think business owning and entrepreneurship is maybe one of the scariest things that you can do. And you know, when I think about it, you, you can't be, I think there's so much in this world that we're afraid of and that we put, people get fear put in them from the news, from the, you know, everything that touches them. Like you're going to get a mosquito virus. You're going to, the plane's going to crash. Like you're going to lose your job. Like you're going to get food poisoning. Fear is in everything that is surrounding us. And it's a choice whether you decide to listen to that and live your life in fear, or you can take a risk and try and work as hard as humanly possible with enough balance and love and happiness and make your dreams come true mm-hmm. so it's you know like if i were to walk into my store every day and be like oh my god are we gonna like are we gonna be open next week that's not the right energy for the store i live three blocks from the store and it's it was a definite factor in why i opened in fort green mm. but you know i've had people from the area come in and say you know good luck you know are you doing okay You know, I I don't see people in here so often. Is your business doing well? Like, how are you doing? And at first, when I was asked that, the first time I was asked that question, I got angry. And I was like, how dare you walk into my business that I'm creating on my own and ask me if it's succeeding? I wouldn't walk into someone's business and do that. I would walk in and say, wow, this is really cool. Good luck. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. I would, you know, support it in any way I could. Um, And so, but I, I am a very positive, I have a very positive outlook. So I can't, you know, when someone says that to me, I can't in turn be angry with them. I have to accept their opinion and then continue on and say, we're doing great. I'm happy to be here. I'm promoting local designers. I'm creating experiences for people and like really show them
0: and teach them
3: what the space is about and hopefully they'll leave and they'll come back.
0: You know, you're on the floor, you own the business. People are asking questions directly to you, you know, who is also the owner of the store because you are accessible there. Like does it ever get lonely feeling like this is a one woman show or do you not feel like it's a one woman show?
3: Um I would say in parts I feel, well, it's, it's interesting because I am my brand. Mm -hmm. So no matter what I have to stand for my brand. Right. And I was also talking about your show with someone else. And, you know, I was discussing like, you know, is it lonely and am I lonely? And he was like, it's not loneliness to me. What I see it's singularity. You're singular in this business. And because I am like purely a social person, I am just like all the time going like, and it hasn't been until I opened the business and I've always been that way. And it hasn't been until I've opened the business that like some on, you know, it's a rare occasion that I will ever go home and just chill out and do nothing and not talk to anybody. Mm hmm. And within the past year, it's like, if I can have one night at my house to like just sit there and like read a magazine or take a bath, that's incredible because I don't have that time anymore. And you know you and from what I used to do, like riding the subway, that's alone time. Walking down the street, that's alone time. I don't have really any alone time at all because mm-hmm. whether I'm at the store or I'm designing product, somewhere else, traveling to Nicaragua where we have our things made, I'm managing 20 plus people all over. So I'm managing my staff. I'm managing the people that I, I guess I shouldn't say managing, but I'm like in touch with Mm -hmm. the people that I buy my product from and, you know, collaborate on product from events. So I'm, I don't feel alone, but it can feel lonely because it can be extremes. So like when the store is crazy busy and there's like people and events and it's like really the fruition of what I've envisioned this business to be. Mm -hmm. And then it'll be like a slow Sunday morning and there'll be three people for like an hour and a half or two hours or four hours. And you're like, wait, this isn't, this doesn't feel right. And then I think about it and I'm like, But we actually need this like four hours because we need to do X, Y, and Z. So that's great. Yeah. So you're
0: built to do this kind of work, you know, because you kind of have this natural shield of positivity against any of the stresses that do inevitably come with, you know, doing this kind of work and going out on your own. They maybe don't like get to your, get to your guts as much.
3: But again, you know, back to other people's views and loneliness and that kind of thing and what people say you know there's again with the comments that you take in every day you know it's like do you have a family do you do you have children do you ever take a vacation do you sleep at night you know and all of those when people say those things to me like those are all things associated with being lonely mm-hmm. or scared or anxiety or all those things and i'm like i don't well i mean I kind of created my life so that it would be a vacation in -hmm. some regards. And I feel like I've created a family with the people that, you know, I surround the store with and partner with. And I do sleep six hours a night. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so it's, you know, it's my view on loneliness, I guess, is a different one than other people's.
0: Well, and it's, Do you think creating this world was a conscious thing because you didn't have a family or children yet? And so you wanted to build it to fill the space or it just, it wasn't so. No,
3: I think it really just, yeah, it really just happened. I mean, I never intended it to be so event driven Mm. ever in my life. Like it just, you know, we started doing them to draw people into the store because I didn't have the funding to pay, you know, thousands of dollars a month for a PR firm. So I was like, well, how are we going to even get people here? And so we were like, we'll do dating events and we'll do tarot card readings and we'll do all these things to hopefully drive people in and give them interest and then give them something to take away. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really what spun this like insane event calendar that I have now where sometimes there's three in one day. But it's, you know, yeah, it's it's a strange it's an amazing, strange turn of events from coming from, I'm just going to have a retail space with a cafe Mm -hmm. to an entire community platform. Right. There isn't anybody I go to. I -hmm. just kind of trust my gut. Sometimes it's wrong. Sometimes it's right. Um, but you know, I want I want a big business, but I want a big business that has sustainable roots and sustainable growth. So, you know, when I'm talking to banks about, I mean, because I, in my real, real vision, I see this as a hospitality industry type of business. So I want hotel rooms and places we can have bigger events and structure it all based on the people that I currently have in my store and helping them grow as well. Mm -hmm. So you know, my dreams are really big, like really, really big. And so I'm, it's on me to make that happen. So every day I'm like, okay, at least once a week, I need to reach out to someone and say, hello, investor group, you already invest in hotels. Can we talk about what my future goals are? Um, and I meet with banks and I research, you know, different companies and then I just speak to people about it. Mm-hmm. And at one point even in the neighborhood I was talking to a couple about it and they were like we will help you crowdfund to put a hotel in Fort Green because there isn't one right. and there's a need for one. And I know I would do it amazing and like make it such a great place for people. So so I'm the answer.
0: I'm the question. I'm the answer. I'm the thought. I'm the work. <laughs> <laughs> Something that stands out to me is about is your confidence. Um, and, and I imagine that that's something that has really helped you maintain a positive outlook and just kind of carry through and continue like taking down obstacles and opening the store every day and staying, you know, just like doing the amazing job that you're doing. Like, even when you said just now, if I opened a hotel in Port Green, I know I would do it amazingly. It's like. I guess it's such a, it stands out to me because I wouldn't feel that way. I'd be worrying every step of the way, you know, and, and, oh my gosh, it, it's going to suck and everyone's going to hate it and think mm-hmm. I'm stupid. I mean, you know, what I mean? it's like, it's, it's, um, I may be extreme on the other end <laughs> of things, but, uh, but where do you say, is that just natural to you? Do you think I had to do with the way you were raised? Do you, is this something that you kind of practice? Do you, Yeah, I know you meditate, you know, I, I don't know. How, how do you keep that up? Um, Or or do you, is it not so conscious?
3: Okay, this is good because I hadn't thought about this until just now, ever. And I guess I create my business for the people. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I do what I do for people. So when I say it's going to be amazing, it's because I'm giving this thing. Mm. So I'm, you know when I think about when I'm giving something or creating an experience that is hopefully positive and happy and touching and these things, it's like, when I want to have a hotel, I want to have it so that Kaylin from upstate who I sell her product at the store can be involved and do the bedding, you know, and Mm -hmm. help that helps her. And when Christina and Matt have their family come in town who live around the corner from the store. They don't have to rent an Airbnb, and they can stay in a hotel that has a restaurant that my friend Robin, who makes the tacos, runs. You know, it's like this thing, almost, I mean, because the space is like a tiny home, so creating this thing, so it it has to be good. The first year I was open, I didn't go home for Christmas, and that was the first year in my entire life... That I wasn't with my family, hmm. and it was so hard. I mean, it was I mean it was I was exhausted because it was the first Christmas season I'd had, and I had no expectation, and because I don't come from a retail background, I don't understand that everyone's gonna shop the day before Christmas between the hours of two and six and, right. and we need more than one person working. Right. <laughs> in my head, I'm like, everybody's already shopped, and we're gonna close early <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, that was not the case so. So the the loneliness that I have, I think, in just in general, in my life is missing the people that I love the most. Yeah.
0: Yeah. What about? Um, oh, and friends. Yeah. Does that extend to friends who, of course, you have a lot of friends who are looped into the business now. Um, but what about your friends who aren't like, you know, are you are you have those relationships suffered because your business really requires you all the time, you know?
3: Yeah. I mean, it absolutely has. I, yeah. I mean, I miss my friends every day, you know, and I, it's hard to, it's hard to explain to people that the job doesn't end. Like, yes, we close at nine or 10, but I have at least 20 to 50 emails and restocking things and checking on things and ordering things and managing my staff and you know there's all of these things it's literally constant and because I want you know a bigger business anyway it's like one of those things that it's challenging to manage when to stop working and when to make time for yourself Mm -hmm. and you know explaining that to the friends that you have who don't, who work for companies that none of, you know, the ones that I've known the longest, you know, have jobs that they work, you know, nine to five or 10 to six and not on the weekends. And it's like, and they don't live in Fort Green. So mm-hmm. for me, it's a real challenge to get to spend time with them. Right. And I miss them terribly. And it's, you know, it's been, that's probably been one of the hardest things about the store is between the family and the friends. And, but on the same regard, they're always going to be my friends because they're, you know, most of them we've gone back to like high school, Hmm. but there's also an entire new group of friends and they're not even people. They're like people that I've met through the store. And so it's on one hand, it's, you know, disheartening and like, you know, heart-wrenching that I miss them and I don't get to see them. And on the other hand, I get to, like, follow them on Instagram and Facebook and kind of, like, make sure they're good and make sure everything's okay. And then I get to meet new people and, you know, share my life with those people.
0: To listen to past episodes of The Lonely Hour or to see what's coming up next, head to thelonelyhour.com.